This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hi, let's talk about Pro Plan Sport. Pro Plan Sport is advanced nutrition made to fuel strength and stamina in active dogs like yours. So wherever your next journey together takes you, Start it off right with the high-performance fuel your dog needs to keep pushing you every step of the way. Pro Plan Sport. Learn more at ProPlansport.com. The Volume. This is Prime Cuts, the best of the Colin Coward podcast. Jason Timpf, host of Hoops Tonight, here on The Volume. We react to the Nuggets Championship and predict what's going to happen to Denver and Miami moving forward. Plus, great pod this week with John Middlecoff. Not only on the NFL, but some thoughts on the U.S. Open. Nobody loves golf like John. Do you have some home projects you need to get done? Whether you own the house or you rent it in your apartment, your condo, or your townhome, Angie's List is now the Angie app for all your projects at home. Whether you're moving, installing something, or cleaning something, they have a network of pros that you can rely on. They've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. Hundreds of projects big projects or smaller, more specific projects. It could be as little as a leaky faucet. They have the projects priced up front. It's fair and it's clear. You'll know the cost before you start. Download the free mobile Angie app today or go to angi.com. Angie, your home for everything home. Colin, does that ever get old for you watching a team hoist the trophy? Oh, no. You know, tension makes movies and sports better. It was sloppy. Uh, I mean, Denver was really tight. Even Mike Malone at one point said, it, we're tight. I mean, they couldn't hit free throws. They couldn't hit threes. But you know what? They hit their gimmies. You know, they're they're good in the paint. Uh, I thought Michael Porter redeemed himself with a couple of big moments. And I also thought you can say that, you know, Denver's not this defensively. I thought they were pretty good. In the fourth quarter, I thought they were relentless. I thought they were um, kind of dictating, kind of pushing, running Miami off the line. No cheap baskets. Uh, made everybody work for everything. Like, you know, they always say offense is talent and skill. Defense is effort. Like, Denver can be good defensively. <laughs> They're so good offensively, they don't have to be great defensively. But on a night when they couldn't hit anything, I thought their defense in the fourth quarter was really strong. They rose to a really high level. You know, it's funny. I was digging into this coming into tonight, obviously, as, as I kind of expected, as I'm sure you did as well, for Denver to hoist the trophy. And the, one of the biggest storylines is this is basically the first non-defending champion in decades to win the title without a top 10 defense in the regular season. It's a significant achievement. It's kind of a break of the mold, so to speak. But what's interesting is as you dive into it, their defense has been excellent in this postseason run. Coming into tonight, their defensive rating in the postseason was only about two points worse than Golden State last year, who was an outstanding defense during the regular season and continued to be so during the postseason. Now, some of it, I, I, I do think it was about matchups. And this is kind of the beauty of basketball is like, it's not necessarily how great of a defense you are in a vacuum. It's how well can you guard the Lakers? How well can you guard Miami? How well can you guard Phoenix? And with those particular teams, you know, Phoenix didn't quite have the amount of rim pressure they needed. The Lakers didn't quite have the amount of off-ball shooting they needed. Miami had all the off-ball shooting in the world, but they didn't have the 
the real high level shot creation that they needed. And, and that's the thing is like, again, in the NBA, you don't have to be, it's not about being that great defense in the grand scheme of things. It's about your specific matchup. And they took it very seriously in this particular postseason run. Mike Malone harped on it constantly. They all talked about it constantly after that game two ugly loss to Miami. And you know, what's interesting is they were missing threes like crazy. This was a classic Eric Spolstra game. They, they ran about 40 possessions a zone in the first two games of the series, then almost completely abandoned it in games three and four. And then that was almost all they did tonight. And it was a, it did a great job of disrupting uh, Denver's rhythm. And they were missing a lot of open shots. And what's interesting in basketball is you can't control shot result. Like if you're getting good looks, you fire away and you just hope they go in, right? But you can control the defensive end of the floor. And I thought their second half was probably their best stretch of defense in this entire postseason. Hell, they had Jimmy Butler pump faking at ghosts and not wanting to shoot the basketball. Bam and Abaya was missing everything around the paint. It was their defense that got it done. And that's what I enjoyed about it is like at the end of the day, it was some of the traditional things that ended up winning in the end. Yeah, I think they they went from a good team to a very good team. And you wonder, when you look at Jokic and Jamal Murray's um, playmaking ability on top of the points, are they potentially a great team? You know, Murray is a scorer and Jokic is a scorer and playmaker. That's a very good team. But when Murray adds the element, oh, I can make plays for others, along with Jokic, Gordon, an elite defensive team, all-time great size, then you start going, wow, they got a they got a lot of things here. Like Pippen, uh, you know, Michael wasn't a playmaker. He was a great scorer. Pippen wasn't a playmaker. He was a great defender. You know, like like Chicago didn't have a lot of that hybrid stuff where you could do both, right? Even Shaq and Kobe, known as scorers. So Jokic and Murray both become ten plus assist guys. Um, you know, the other thing is when you're when you're a really great team. Uh, you not only win championships, but you often um, change the game. The Warriors changed the game. Denver now, with their length, are they putting it into small ball? You can't really play small ball with them. You have to have an enormously successful shooting night. They're just too long. They're just too big. And I think to myself, great teams not only win, the Kansas City Chiefs not only surpass New England, They've made that sort of defense first game. Um, that kind of game doesn't match up with Kansas City. You just can't stop Kansas City if you give them 12 possessions. You just can't. And so not only is Kansas City now better than New England, they've kind of ended the idea of ball control because Mahomes needs 13 seconds and he can drive down the field. And I think what Denver's doing, are they ending small ball? Do we look at now, Miami's a pretty small team if Bam's not on the floor. Golden State, they just don't match up. They just can't get anything down low. And I also think it was a throwback series. Denver's very much points in the paint. A lot of guys hitting twos. They won a championship on a night they couldn't hit free throws or threes. I kind of like the old school stuff. I, I got to tell you, people are going to watch them. And I think people are going to say, okay, the small ball. Remember Houston for years chased the Warriors small ball and they could never win. They were shooting 30, 40, 50 threes. You sort of look at Denver and think, oh, there is another way. Length, twos, um, playmakers. I don't know. I, I find Denver captivating to watch. I feel like I'm watching a little 70s and 80s and 2023. I feel like I'm, I'm watching a little of both. Yeah, they represent some proven methods that win in the NBA and some new methods, you know. And what's interesting is Golden State last year was kind of a small team. But if you look back, like size has been winning in the NBA lately. Like this Denver team, gigantic. That uh, Milwaukee Bucks team in 21, gigantic. That Lakers team in 2020, gigantic. That Toronto Raptors team in 2019, massive. Even that Warriors team with Kevin Durant, when you really put Kevin Durant with Andre Iguodala and, uh, and Draymond Green on that front line, they were massive. They, they're just, you have to win with size in the NBA. And what was so interesting with this particular Denver team, and this is what actually your Kansas City Chiefs reference kind of makes sense to me. Like, I can't tell you how many times over the years as a tortured Cowboys fan, I'd be watching like Aaron Rodgers put together these long drawn out drives 
And then it just felt like the Cowboy offense could never get in a rhythm. And the three and out is almost just as much of a product of the rhythm as it is the defense, just because there's a flow to football in the same way there's a flow to basketball. And it, it, and it's it, when you see a team that's going to get a million offensive rebounds and they're going to score consistently, get back in transition and force you to attack their set defense, sometimes Denver's best defense is their offense. Yeah. Just by the way they beat you up on the interior of the other end of the floor. I do not... One of the, one of the weird subplots of this series is Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo could not make a shot in the paint to save their life. <laughs> like they were, they were awful, awful shooting inside the paint in this series. And a big part of that is those dudes are banging with Aaron Gordon and Nikola Jokic all series. And, and it just wears on you. And so yes. that's a big part of their attack. And then as you go down the roster, you mentioned Jamal Murray, and that's such an important part. His playmaking has been a revelation in this playoff run. He's averaging over seven assists a game. That means Jokic and Murray are giving you almost 20 assists a game. Yeah, and then you've got the Murray, the uh, the the um, KCP, uh, uh, Michael Porter Jr. element, and the Aaron Gordon element. All these guys are coming back. This to me feels like a team that could just as easily make four or five consecutive Western Conference Finals and win multiple championships. That becomes an interesting exercise to kind of think about what the rest of the league does from here. Because I think it's going to affect in a bunch of different ways. You talked about small ball and I 100% agree. Like there's just, there's no doubt that if you try to march into a series against the Denver Nuggets next year and you want to play four dudes that are below 6'8", then you're going to be up against it from the standpoint of competing on the glass and in the physicality areas of the game. I mean, Miami did about as good as you possibly can do because of how well coached they are. But even they looked physically overwhelmed at times. And look at what ended up uh, most of the pivotal plays at the end of this game were offensive rebound putbacks and Jokic just mauling dudes around the rim. It was their size that got them beat at the end. Now, as I look around the league, though, like everyone's got to make significant improvements. Like I think Phoenix had some real success with pull up jump shooting against this Denver team, but they they need to confront their size issues. That's going to be something they have to confront. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And then the Lakers, ironically, were the by far the most successful offense against the Nuggets. That was so weird about that series. You go in there and you're like, Lakers are the best defense. They're going to be great. Denver cooked LA more than they cooked any of the other teams. Like it didn't make any sense. And then on the offensive end of the four, we all talked shit about the Laker offense all season. The Lakers were actually the most successful offense against the Nuggets in large part because of LeBron James rim pressure, Rui Hachimura rim pressure. They were able actually able to attack the paint in a way the Miami Heat couldn't, but they have to to make so many improvements in terms of their perimeter athleticism because guys like Bruce Brown and Jamal Murray just absolutely destroyed them. And so all these teams have to make significant improvements. You're going to see, I think you're going to see a lot of teams get really aggressive this offseason because they know they're not good enough yet. And, and, and I think you're going to see a couple centers get some big paydays that don't make a ton of sense as guys try to throw uh, uh, money at, at, at an extra body to throw at Jokic. I think you're going to see a guy like Dwight Howard back in the league. Like it's going to be this whole whole summer is going to be like, how do we deal with this team who's bringing all their guys back? And it's going to be an interesting challenge. Well, I mean, for years and years, uh, the Spurs had Robinson and Duncan, and then the Lakers have always had bigs. And, um, you know, I mean, it's it's why a Portland goes out and drafts a Greg Oden, right? You sort of you start looking around the league and you're like, you know, you see it all the time in all sports. Who's in your in, in the NFL and when, when Peyton Manning's in your division, everybody drafts edge rushers like that's the way the sport works. Jokic is just now moving into his prime. He's got six more years of it. He's in the best shape, by the way, he's been in in his career. So, um, I mean, if you really go back at the end of the year, Jokic, uh, I think, sat five of their last seven games. So they went on kind of a losing streak at the end of the year. Well, year they're not going to stay regular season. They didn't play starters, right? If you take that out, I mean, this team, I mean, trade deadline on, we we should have seen it coming. They just thump people. All the time, mm-hmm. home, road, thump people, um, and it, it, it's. Uh, I gotta tell you, I like new stuff. I'm not a rearview mirror guy. I love having a new potential dynasty. I don't know if they are, but it has the makings of one. I mean, when LeBron went down to Miami, you, you felt like, oh, this could be special. But D Wade was always a guy that hit the floor a lot. Aged very quickly. You know, it was like a running back. Not many years. And so you could see by like year two, it was like D-Wade wasn't as good on back-to-back. She kind of said, there's going to be a, an expiration date pretty quickly on this run. But I look at I look at Denver and I'm like, at least for three more years, at least three more handful. Because I, I, think, I think, to be honest, Murray, Jokic, Porter, and Gordon are right smack dab 
in the middle of their prime, like not near the end of it, like three years from now, let's come back and talk about it. Then they're closer to the end of it. But this will be fun. By the way, I also love KCP bubble team. This team hit a big three in this game. I love Two guys. Big free throws too. And a yeah. big steal. I love guys like that. There's every championship team's got a guy. I love the KCP. He's had an interesting career. If he goes to the free throw line late, he's talking to all these guys. Settle down, settle down. It's like KCP. It's like telling everybody, hey, I've been here. So I, I just, nothing I didn't like. And by the way, we all love Miami, but they need Dame. They need a score. They need another player. So the good news for Miami is they lost. They were overwhelmed. But you know exactly what they need. They need a score. From the standpoint of Denver and a potential dynasty, the part that makes it so possible is Jokic's durability and what he's capable of doing when the other guys are not available. Because both Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray are constantly dealing with nagging injuries in yeah. one way, shape, or form. And and like even Jamal Murray this year, like he got back to where he needed to get in this postseason, which was one of the biggest storylines coming out of the regular season. It's like, can Jamal Murray be what he was in 2020? And he ended up being way better than that even. But he was dealing with some nagging stuff with his knee. Michael Porter Jr. and his back issues flare up from time to time. But what's great about the Jokic thing is like you can just throw four dudes out there with him and he's winning 50 regular season games. Right. So like you're, you're not going to suffer in the standings. You're not going to struggle. You can buy uh, rest for Jamal Murray during the season and buy rest for Michael Porter Jr. And then when those guys are available in the postseason, it's the simple fact of you better find a way to score on them easily on the other end because there's just nobody ever really truly bothered them in this postseason. And, and that's just going to be a recurring theme. As far as Miami goes, and, and this is what is so interesting from the standpoint of continuity, and I actually wanted to bring this up because um, it was something I talked about a lot after game four. But I do think it's really interesting that from like 2017 to 2021, it was kind of like the mercenary era, right? Like the Warriors signed Kevin Durant outright yeah. and they win a couple championships in a row. The Raptors trade their continuity for Kawhi Leonard, a mercenary, comes in, they win a title. LeBron James ships off a half decade of draft prospects in the Lakers to bring back Anthony Davis, they immediately win a title. The Bucks, coming off of a really disappointing loss to Jimmy Butler in the bubble, they go out and they trade for Drew Holiday. They immediately win a title. That was kind of like that era. But now we're in this era where it's like suddenly you saw last year a Celtics group with Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum and Al Horford that had a ton of reps together that made it to the finals. Yep. And then you saw a Warriors team with a bunch of dudes who've been playing to, together forever make it to the finals. This year, the Heat and, and the Nuggets teams that had been together for a while. And my theory on this is like, there's so much talent in the league now. Yeah. That every team has two stars. It's like Philly's yeah. like the 10th best team in the league. It's like they got Harden and Embiid <laughs> and Tyrese Maxey. It's like everyone's got two stars. Everyone's got good role players. So it's the groups that play the best basketball yeah. that end up winning. And so you have to learn how to play good basketball over years. And so I do think it's interesting how continuity is taken center stage. Yeah. And it's also um, the, the league is cyclical. Like, um, you know, you see this all the time. People copied the Warriors for years, even when they didn't have great three-point shooters. It was just like, okay, we've got to become that. And you're like, no, you can get twos. You know, Denver Denver was so confident in its ability to get twos. They can shoot threes, and they're good at it, but they're not beholden to it. Um, and, 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 and so, you know, champions usually have people that copy them. Right. Like it's, it's it's cyclical. So LeBron and Durant move and they have success. So everybody thinks that's that's. But Kevin Durant and LeBron are two of the 12 best players in league history or 15 best players. You can move around the league all you want. It's not going to you're not going to duplicate their championships. So I think Denver, I, I do think people will look at Denver and try to get bigger to combat them. It was like when the Spurs had, you know, early in the Spurs, when they have Robinson and Duncan, it's like, Wow. Like, this is, this is a lot. And I think people will try to combat that. But I think a lot of what Denver does is unique to them. There's just not many guys like Aaron Gordon in the league that big. I mean, just – I saw him the other day. It's, it's, uh, he was doing something after a game, and he had like a sweater on, and he was at the microphone. And I'm like, that ain't sit-ups and, and deadlifts. That dude is just built not like any human I've ever met, like 6'10", broad – He's just not on the market, right? Like Jokic. I've played in a basketball Jokic. game against him. I'm aware. He's huge. <laughs> <laughs> so Jokic, 
is not on the market. Like some of great teams have Steph Curry's not on the market. You can try to duplicate it. LeBron wasn't on the market. So you're going to see some imitators and people try to get bigger. But, you know, great teams everywhere. Mahomes isn't on the market, right? You can try to duplicate so much of it. Uh, Denver's unique. I think they're going to alter the game. I think they're going to have copycats. Um, and I think they're going to be around for years. I was so happy for the city because I've always said Detroit and Denver don't get the love, but everything works in Detroit. They like bowling. I've seen the ratings, college basketball. You know, New York City is a great sports city, but they don't love college football. They don't love NASCAR. Detroit loves everything. Denver's the same way. Denver loves everything. Every star was out tonight in Denver. Every coach, every player. It was like, it it meant so much to the city. And it's the fans there are, you know, I grew up with the Orange Crush. And, you know, that was the loudest place in the league. And I don't know. I just, I felt, I, I, I really felt, I was so happy for Denver. It meant so much to the city. I mean, you see Peyton Manning move there right after he played. He said, this is where I want to. That's where I want to be the rest of my life. And he's biting his lip and he's sweating. And I'm like, God, it meant so much. Uh, it was such a joy to watch. I mean, it was it was it was one of the great quarters of intense, sluggish, open jumper missing basketball in a long time. Like it was you kept saying to yourself, OK, Denver doesn't deserve to win. You can't miss free. When, when Brown missed two free throws, Christian Brown missed two free throws. I'm like, bro. Come on, you, you can't do that. You can't win a title like that. But uh, I just have a feeling like ele- of elevation tonight. Like, I'm really happy for Denver. I love competitive basketball like that. It's funny. There was a quote from uh, um, Jeff Van Gundy during the game when he was talking about Max Struess playing through his struggles. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, every coach loves a player that is competitive when he's struggling because a guy who's struggling, but is competitive will attempt to find ways to affect the game. Even when he's not making shots. Like, do you remember that ridiculous chase down block that Max Struess had in the fourth quarter with like four minutes left where I think it was, <laughs> I, I think it might've been Jamal Murray. Somebody had a breakaway layup and he I think just it was Christian Brown. It. Yeah. Yeah. And he came flying in and blocked it. And I was like, that is just, sheer force of competitive will when he can't buy a bucket. And there was literally like 10 of those dudes out on the court tonight because nobody could really make anything, you know, even Jokic missed one of his late little push shots that he always makes. So I wanted to talk about a little bit about Jokic and his place atop the league, because I think even as we talk about um, the tier that you had mentioned, which is Luca Giannis, Jokic and Steph, I think that Jokic has demonstrated a level of offensive I don't know what to call it, like inevitability, like like consistent shot creation. That's even a level above some of those guys. This kind of reminds me a little bit of LeBron in the early 2010s where there's kind of like the changing of the guard where it's like Kobe's tailing off, right? And, and Duncan's tailing off. And so LeBron's kind of filling that void. And then some of the younger guys like KD just wasn't quite there yet. Steph Curry's not quite there yet. That's kind of the way I'm looking at this right now. Like Jokic feels like he's at the absolute peak of his powers here in his late 20s. And Giannis is like dealing with some flaws in his game in the half court. And Steph just didn't quite shine through against that dominant Laker defense the way that Jokic did. And Luka's struggling in the margins of basketball. Like he's unbelievably great, but he's struggling defensively and he's struggling with his attitude and he's struggling with kind of maintaining the flow of a team with how kind of ball hoggy he can be sometimes. And so like, do you, do you potentially see Jokic starting a run here where he's the best player in the world for a while? Yeah, I mean, I think the best player today is Jokic, Giannis second, Luka third. Uh, Giannis struggles with free throws confidence late and Lucas struggles with playing with somebody ball dominant those are real factors Jokic doesn't really have that um and so I do think um I, I do think he feels different he also and this is really a thing um and there's more than one way to do it but there's an egolessness to him meaning he'll be easy to play with Kobe wasn't I mean Kobe won force of just a willfulness um and then with Shaq, and then with Gasol, like Kobe willed his way to a championship. A lot of that was Jordan. Jordan wasn't always easy to play with. There's a lot of different ways to do it. Then you get Magic and LeBron, where they make everybody better. Um, I feel you know, like Bill Russell, Magic Johnson, LeBron, and Jokic feel similar to me. And that stylistically, they're all different. 
but uh, their ability to make minus players plus players, B minus player a B plus, C minus player a C plus. Like, I mean, Murray was was an A player in this. I always thought of him kind of as an A minus a B plus. And I'm like, no, he was an A player with some A plus nights. And he's not doing that without the screens. Um, inevitability is a good word. Like Russell, Magic, uh, LeBron, it wasn't just them. I, I've, I've said this before to you is the greatest stat in LeBron's basketball careers in high school, where he averaged like 26 a game as a junior. He, sco- he could have scored 50 a game as a senior. He scored 27. That told me all I think. All I needed to know about LeBron is junior and senior year. He averaged like a point and a half more. That's never been LeBron games to outscore people. It's always been about elevating others because he knows he can get his points. And it's like that that told you what LeBron was. He, I mean, LeBron James, best basketball player ever. If, if I said, what do you think he averaged his last year of high school? You'd be like 48. You'd be like, no, one more point than his junior year. And I think that's the key. I think free agents and people are going to look, Jason, at, at Jokic and be like, Denver's not a bad place to live, right? Harden, Luka, it's like, man, am I going to get the shot? Am I going to get looks? You watch Jalen Brown explode in New York, uh, Jalen Brunson explode in New York. You're like, holy God, Luka got in his way. Man, there's a lot of guys, a lot of, a lot of Kevin Loves, a lot of Chris Boshes had really big careers, gave up a lot of numbers and said, I want to play with that dude. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hi, let's talk about Pro Plan Sport. Pro Plan Sport is advanced nutrition made to fuel strength and stamina in active dogs like yours. So whether you're heading out to explore a new trail or looking to set a personal best on your daily run, start your journey off right with the high-performance fuel your dog needs to keep pushing you every step of the way. Pro Plan Sport. Discover the power of advanced nutrition for strength and stamina at ProPlansport.com. That's ProPlansport.com. All right, I'm going to bring in my buddy John Middlecoff, three and out podcast, former NFL scout on the volume sports network also hosts go low our golf podcast u.s open in los angeles everybody here's fired up everybody i know is going except me because i'm doing a podcast uh all right john i want to start with something i um uh, in the last 24 hours i do kind of a pre-camp standings and we're through the draft coaching free agency otas and my only woe was I put Miami in first and Buffalo in second. And I had two reasons for it. I think Vic Fangio is the most underrated coach assistant in the league. I think he's a great defensive coordinator. Between he and Jalen Ramsey, I think their defense is going to be a handful. Um, secondly, I like the momentum of Mike McDaniel and Tua. I think they get better and better and better. I watched them outcoach Sean McDermott two of the three games last year, clearly and arguably three of the three games. And also the Stefan Diggs story, something's amiss. Uh, five years in, they can't solve the offensive line. They've added more defensive linemen. Ed Oliver got an extension. Um, I'm not anti-defensive coach. Uh, Pete Carroll, Tomlin, Belichick, obviously very capable. Where? What do you make of the Stefan Diggs, a lot of the Instagram stuff? It just, for that stuff to go public, what did you make of it? Well, you know, he's had issues before. You know, he he was he he's a winning diva. You know, he won in Minnesota, was a very productive player on their good teams, but he was a lot for them and they got rid of him. And they made one of the great trades in recent memory, essentially straight up for a draft pick that turned right into Justin Jefferson, right? So it was a pretty seamless transition for them. And Diggs has been excellent for the Bills. I, I heard you, I think yesterday or two days ago kind of on the Sean McDermott experience. And I, I was thinking about it over the last 24 hours. 
I think a lot of times, and this works for offensive coaches too, and now Sean's technically the defensive coordinator. You are very, your success is very predicated on the other side of the ball, who you hire. So just look at some of the offensive yeah. coaches, right? When did Andy Reid, obviously Mahomes was a big element of this, got rid of, uh, I think Bob Sutton was the defense coordinator, Spagnola. Last five years, three Super Bowls in their defense has been dramatically better. With often young players. 100%. Kyle Shanahan, back-to-back defensive uh, coordinators become head coaches. They've been awesome. And now he hires Steve Wilkes. Everyone's really high high on. Sean McVay, excellent uh, defensive coordinators. So you, you need help on that side of the ball. When were the Bills really good? For that three or four-year stretch, Brian Dayball. Turns out he's a star. Maybe Ken Dorsey... I mean, we're gonna, there's going to be a lot of pressure on him because he, they got a little loosey-goosey last year with Josh Allen, who just is kind of a loosey-goosey player. His talent is just so elite, right? Now, the thing with the team building, and I know you talked about the offensive line with the Bills, their GM has a lot of juice, Brandon Bean. you know, And, and they have invested heavily in the defensive line, which no one really, like that's a smart thing to do. But it's like, have they hit on the right guys? I like Von Miller. $55 million for a guy... Wow. 33 years old it's a, it's a lot it was a lot of money yes you know, it was a lot it was a lot of money and he was having a really good season last year but what happened he got hurt you know older guys you saw jj watt a couple years ago again elite guy champion it's hard to overpay those guys john i didn't like the von miller deal i thought the rams much like the chiefs did with juju smith schuster incentive laden deal comes in hits patriots overpay i thought von miller for the rams was a home run I think Buffalo overpaid. I think at his age and injury history, it was a mistake. Yeah, I think when you're giving the you know astronomical deals, when you're a championship level team, they got to be your guys. When you go shopping in free agency, you just you pay what a 20, 30% premium just on the fact that you're bidding against other teams, the prices go up. So I, I think they regret that one. But I do think their success. You know, Sean McDermott's proven to be a good defensive coordinator when he was with the Carolina Panthers and Ron Rivera. Like, he knows what he's doing to coach the defense. So let's just say their defense a little bit better. What if their offense, like, what if Ken Dorsey, I mean, for every Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay, there are a lot of offensive coordinators that turn out to not be that good. So that would be my biggest concern if I was a Bills fan. The thing with the Dolphins, though, Colin, doesn't the quarterback concern you? I mean, concussion away from, like, missing the season. Well, first of all, two has put on about 15 pounds. You can see it in practice in the OTA. Like yeah. he got thick. He did a Jalen Hurts. Lamar did it two years ago. You're like, he's got traps. He's, he's got he got thick. So two has kind of come to terms with you can't you can't play light at that position. You can't in college when you have Bama's offensive line. You can't yeah. in the NFL. You got to put pudding on. You got to put weight on. Uh, you got to hit the ground, too, when shit hits the fan. You can't try to be a hero. He's not big enough or fast enough to do that. So I've said if he plays 15 games, I, I do think Jalen Ramsey, Vic Fangio, um, I think if you look at Shanahan's system with Matt Ryan, it's in year two that a quarterback, it's complicated, that a quarterback really hits. Uh, it, with Shanahan, often it's been year two. I think year two, McDaniel and Tua. Uh, I think the division's really good. I, if DeAndre yeah. Hopkins signed with New England, I think that's that's like substantial. Uh, but I have the same quarterback worries. I I just don't like the way Buffalo's trending. And the other thing is with Aaron Rodgers and the Jets, I know Aaron's going to be fine. And I think he's using he's smart. He knows his, the narrative on Green Bay was. His buddies were the old guys, Bakhtiari and Cobb. He didn't work with young guys. So in New York, he's made a point yeah. to put his arms around the young guy. I love these young players. He's smart. He sees. It's like I've said before, when you get divorced and remarried, you're like, what was I really bad at? Okay, I got to get better at dealing with kids. I got to get better with money. Like, you you know what you're bad at. You correct it. He's, he's course corrected on the young guys. But it's still a shaky O-line. Um the wide receiving core, Alan Lazard's more of a three. Garrett Wilson's young. Uh, I still, I don't think they, I think most of their talents in the defensive front and in corner. Uh, so I, if I said to you, so Miami's my whoa pick. Um, I, I think Carolina has a chance to win their division, mostly because it's a bad division. Is there a whoa pick for you at this point? A division that I would go, man, I didn't see that coming. What? I guess you could see it coming, but everyone's going to pick the Bengals. I do think the Steelers were really coming on at the end of the year last year. 
we know how well they draft. We know how much talent they have on their team. You know, TJ Watt, remember, missed a lot of last season. He's yes. a lot like Nick Bosa, that if he's playing 17 games, he's getting you know, close to 20 sacks and dominating every game he plays in. Good point. Their culture, you know, their, their, their quarterback, I'm not a huge, like, I, I don't really like those type players because I think their ceiling's pretty low. But physically, you get to go to a, a place that's just kind of equipped with a running back, weapons, a defense. He's he's an older, younger player. I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility they win twelve or thirteen games, right? If they maximize and stay healthy, and they're in that division, no one's intimidated, especially Baltimore and Pittsburgh by the Cincinnati Bengals, right? Even though the Bengals have been beating them, but they they will view if healthy that they should win the division. So I, I'd say the Steelers are a team that I I might lean to pick. I'm definitely going to pick to make the playoffs, but to potentially win the North. Well, and the other thing, very much like New England, defensive culture defensive coach they get a mac jones a kenny pickett lower ceiling but if you if you kind of look at what belichick brady was viewed as a lower ceiling guy um yeah. or right? got better over time yep and so the truth is belichick belichick doesn't want lamar jackson running out of his plays either to shanahan either just you know tomlin sometimes was frustrated yeah. with big bends <laughs> Um, you know, ad-libbing, um, kind of refusal to audible in and out of trouble. And so I kind of look at Kenny Pickett and I'm like, okay, I don't love him. He His ceiling may be seven and a half. But, you know, with Tomlin's defense, with a culture, that can win a division. It really can. Yeah. Uh, and listen, I think coaches, you talk to these guys, GMs, every year is a new year. So the momentum especially when you miss the playoffs, doesn't carry over. But that is an organization whose standards so high and they're so used to like ending on success will carry over, I think, for a lot of these guys. I think the Saints are another team. You know, I know you've always been a supporter of Derek and I've known him since Fresno State. I think for the first time in his career, he was really kind of told, like, essentially, you suck. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah. You know, like you're not good enough to play here. They've left. He left the building the last couple of weeks. That That's a team that... What's crazy is that the end of the Sean Payton era in New Orleans, they had a really good defense and they still have a lot of physical pieces. They have a physical team. Yeah. Then Drew's career kind of ends and obviously they go into this court. They don't have a quarterback. Derek does not have to be Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes. If he can just play like the 10th, 11th best quarterback in, you know, the NFL, they could, especially when you factor in their division, their strength of schedule, like why couldn't they win 10, 11 games? I think it. I think it's interesting. You 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 touched on Sean Payton. I want to dive a little bit into Denver here. So, I thought it probably more the best guest I've ever had on my show reoccurring is Sean Payton. I did him Mondays uh, fifteen times last year. Sean and I would talk five minutes before he went on, twenty minutes, twenty five when he was on, five after. Um, I, I learned so much. Went to dinner a couple of times. I learned so much from Sean Payton. I could tell after about four or five meetings with him there's no way he was going to stay out of the league he just he's so curious he's such a good storyteller he's so he's just he's like intellectually twitchy like he needs to work right he can only golf so much you've met guys like this he's too good he's too good of a coach to not be coaching that's right and he didn't have the burnout yet of a jimmy johnson who could have coached for years more but jimmy was burned out um and sean uh, unlike jimmy maybe is has a good social life i mean sean's gonna go rip it up and have a good time uh beautiful young wife like like sean gets away from the sport but i but i watched denver and um seven of the base eight best offensive lines according to pff last year were offensive head coaches harbaugh and seven offensive head coaches they figure out the o-line it wasn't lost on me that he goes out and gets Mike McGlinchey right tackle, Ben Powers at guard. They already have they have Garrett Bowles coming back, who's their best on lineman, and they do have an interior yeah. guard they like on the roster. And so I think we're going to see a significant upgrade on their O line. And Sean told me a couple of times off the air and on with Russell Wilson, he said he's got to go back to leaning into what he does, and that is basketball on grass. He's got to move. That's what he is. What do you envision? Because I think they're going to take a big leap. What do you envision with them? I didn't love the O-lineman signings for the price point. But ultimately, McGlinchey is a good example. Like, do you love buying a house at the peak of the market? Sometimes not ideally, but you need somewhere to live. (laughs) 
right? <laughs> so do I want to pay $50 million for McGlinchey? No, but who's going to play right tackle? And it's not like he's coming from the worst team in the league. He's been a five-year starter on the 49ers. So it's, right. listen, I, maybe I'm too close to the sun. I've seen him, but he's he is a starts every game for you at, at a very, very critical condition. I, I'm with you. I mean, what made Russell Wilson so special, and I've seen him live several times in his heyday, he was just a magician. He kind of had this... Steve Young, Flair, obviously the deep ball, and he looked like a shell of himself. And, you know, I, I think most of us, if you're going to be bullish on his comeback, you'd be like, well, Nate Hackett, dysfunction. And then if you were going to be bearish on the situation, you'd be like, well, he's a lot of miles on those tires, right? Running around. You can't play like that forever. I, it's He's probably, him and Aaron Rodgers are probably the two most fascinating situations this year for just high-level, Hall of Fame-level guys in new scenarios. Obviously, Russell's been there a year, but now gets Sean Payton. No longer he's in charge. I, I think some of the stuff was overblown. Like Peyton Manning had an office at the facility, right, in Indian Denver. Yeah. No one cares about that stuff when you're winning. It just gets weird when you're not. Now, Peyton, like Tom, are just better dealing with guys one-on-one. Like I don't know if that's something you change. I mean, some of the question marks with Russell just being a little different. You know, that's that's not something you usually flip a switch at it, 32, 33 years old. I, I, like, I, I'm pretty confident Sean Payton, you talk to people in the NFL, that he's viewed as one of the best offensive minds and just schemers of his generation. So offensively, like the scheme, he's going to figure it out. It's just, can Russell, is he still the athlete? And if his athleticism is, let's say it was once 100%, is now 70%, not 88%. That's a big problem for a smaller player who's not ever going to play like a Brady or Manning in the pocket, right? You know, it was interesting. I started thinking, why wouldn't Russell run last year? Because it was really um, abrupt, like intuitive movement wouldn't. And I did wonder this, is that, um, that Russell wanted to be viewed as a pocket passer because he wanted to be viewed as an all-time great and Brady was winning Super Bowls and he there was the this, MVP. and Lamar Jackson was new in the league Lamar was running around and I had this thought that that Russell watched all of this and thought I'm not going to be Lamar I'm not going to be Kyler Murray I'm not those guys I want to establish my guy myself as a pocket guy because it was almost as if he was stubborn not moving. If you watch their games, when he moved, he moved the chains. He's not a yeah. great pocket passer. Jalen Hurts isn't yet a great pocket passer. Lamar's better than people think. He's not Burrow. And I thought it was almost one of those where Sean Payton said this to me. He goes, I, I got to convince Russell. Let's go back to basketball on grass. I think Russell can move. I think Russell made a decision. He did not want to be branded as runaround guy because Kyler had come in and was a little quicker. Lamar was faster. Josh Allen was leaping over people. And Russell was thinking, I don't want to be the seventh best running quarterback in this league. That was my interpretation. Because when I watched, I'd think, Russell, every time you run in these games, twice a game, you pick up a first down. Run. I know. He's still very elusive. So sometimes, you know, people have told me this before in my career, uh, sportscasters, like lean into what you are. You know, if you're totally. a storyteller, be a storyteller. If you're funny, be funny. If you're a great journalist, lean into it. I think Russell needs to lean back into Russell. So I want to go from there to a, a team you know very well, the 49ers. Um, I think it's impossible to yank a player that went 8-0 and as a starting quarterback. <laughs> I don't think. Yeah. So what? Well, it's it's not it, happening. So it doesn't, you know, they love what, the guy. What do you do with Trey Lance? Well, I actually think he can earn a lot of credibility back. Uh, and I think he has a little bit in the OTAs, but this fall, if he just beats Sam Darnold out, like he, he went from the number three pick in the draft and then traded for three first round picks to two years later, not the starting quarterback because Mr. Irrelevant is and competing with Sam Darnold, who's playing for $3 million to be the backup quarterback. So I, I do think there's a lot on the line come August, right? In, in training camp. They have some joint practices, the preseason games. My take is, though, I, I just the 49ers thought that they could have their cake and eat it, too, and develop this player. And they realized he needed so much work and, and he got hurt that they were just a ready-made machine. It's why yes. they always kind of went back to Jimmy Garoppolo. And then when they just they didn't luck into Brock Purdy because they 
he made the team last year at a training camp. Like they, they, what he did in training camp, Kyle kind of fell in love with. They really liked him. Now they didn't think he was in it, end up being a starting quarterback, but through injuries, he, his play through whatever the, the end of the season. And then those couple playoff games before, I guess the Dallas game was hard. I mean, their defense was playing really well. The Eagle game didn't even happen that he was a more explosive player than Jimmy Garoppolo. And we know the weapons they have. Right. And I think now that they have Christian McCaffrey, they just go, we don't need, because he, I'm not asking you to play like Patrick Mahomes. We run the ball a lot. We throw a lot of quick screens. We throw a lot of wheel routes. We are not bombs away like the Buffalo Bills or the Bengals. That's not the way we play. So we just need a guy to be very, very accurate, basically in like the 10 yard window past the line of scrimmage. Right. And Purdy was awesome at that. Of course he was. He's been a four year starter at Iowa State. He's a multiple all Big 12 guy. He had a lot of experience, very confident. And it's just an accurate player. I mean, that's that's his strength, and that's not Trey's strength. And, you know, the Bills several years ago were like, screw it. We're going to figure it out with Josh Allen and learn through it. And they weren't even close to being a Super Bowl contender at the time he started when he got there. That's the opposite with the 49ers. You could argue it would have been an easier landing spot if he just went to a shitty team and just got to screw up on the fly and figure it right. out. That That was... I think the 49ers thought the opposite. And then once they got it, they're like, yeah, we can't. And the players last year were kind of grumbling because they're thinking we can't win 10 games if this guy's not accurate, right? We can't figure it out on the fly. We're, we're 25 to 28 year old guys in our prime ready to roll. And um, yeah, I mean, if he, if he doesn't win the backup job, they do have the three quarterback rule. You know, they change it. Technically they keep him, but it, to me, it's not out of the realm of possibility that they just maybe trade him at the end of training camp, if Sam Darnold like beats him out. Right. Because what's, you can't have a guy $9 million being your third, you know, third quarter. Can you get, can you get a fourth round pick for him? I think it depends how he plays in training camp right now. You could not. Now, if he looks good in training camp and Sam's just better, they have a joint practice with the Raiders. I mean, what, the, what Jimmy Garoppolo, this they're banking on him being healthy. I mean, he can't, he can't pass a physical in June for the second time in two years. So, I mean, that, that could be a disaster. What if he's good against the Raiders? Mark Davis, Vegas Knights champion. Like You can't just be irrelevant in Vegas. They don't have a... And if Jimmy is injured, I mean, that they'd be, Brian Hoyer, would it, we wouldn't just trade a fourth to just see what you got to take your chances because there's some pressure on just being relevant if you're the Raiders. So I, I think there would be a couple teams if he shows signs of life. If, if he doesn't, uh, yeah, his value is very, very small because he makes... He's a third overall pick. He ma- he makes some cash. Right. I just saw this. There was a rumor the Patriots tried to trade for Rodgers and he blocked it. Uh, do you believe that rumor? Uh, I would bet Bill sniffed around because he was obviously pretty down on Mac Jones over the last 12 months. The Patriots don't have any offensive weapons. It's not really an enjoyable place to go once it's not guaranteed you're going to win. I mean, one of the reasons guys were taking pay cuts because you were guaranteed at minimum to go to the AFC championship game and like an 80% chance you were going to the Super Bowl. So once it's like, well, we might win nine games. Like, yeah, I'm not playing for that curmudgeon. You've been on this forever. And listen, I I think Bill's an awesome. I mean, he's an all-time great coach, any sport, any era, any time. But the offensive game... Uh, last year was an embarrassment to go with Patricia, right? And Joe Judge. I mean, that situation, that, that that's beyond like arrogance or whatever. That's just crazy. I mean, it was universally like, this is insane. I, I Again, not a Mac Jones guy. I do understand if I'm Mac Jones, like what he, he's been at Alabama. He knows what normal looks like. And that ain't normal. You know, it, it's I often use sports um, to guide me through some of my business stuff. And um you know, like I, I watched Greg Popovich refuse to embrace the three-pointer. I yeah. watched Bill Belichick refuse to pivot, unlike Saban, to a more offensive quarterback-friendly team. And it is interesting in the business books that I peruse over the course of a year. Uh, I like business. I always have um, not necessarily a business person, but I enjoy reading about the structure of it, the architecture of businesses and the ascension of a business, especially since I created the, the, the volume. And almost to a business, the successful companies that fail, people don't get dumb. They just get arrogant. And they start believing, John, in the culture more than talent. You know, Mike Krzyzewski got very precious on the one and done. 
Remember for years, Duke would not hang your jersey unless you graduated. And then, you know, Mike finally said, and all these one and done guys, they're all beating me. So Mike was like, okay, I'm pivoting. Um, Saban pivoted uh, when he got Lane Kiffin on the staff. That program, first seven years, was built on linebackers, safeties, corners. Then they went all in on five-star wide receivers and quarterbacks and left tackles. Is that I, I when I look at Bill Belichick, he didn't get dumb. He but when you fall in love with your culture, I remember when I started the volume, I talked to a, um, I emailed a couple of different people, successful business guys, and almost uh, two, three people, a woman um, and two men and very successful people. And they all said the exact same thing separately. I said, give me one piece of sage advice. And they all said, be willing to pivot. Don't fall in love with your ideas or your culture. Whatever works, double down. What doesn't, get off it immediately. And when I watch the Patriots, I mean, you're a former scout. You have people in the building. That's why I think DeAndre Hopkins is sort of an acknowledgement and Juju Smith-Schuster, hey, I, I got to get this right. Like I effed up last year. That's what D-Hop feels like to me. Well, I think there's some tangible pressure I mean, there's always been rumors in NFL circles. Bill doesn't exactly treat the Kraft family normal, like coach ownership hierarchy. <laughs> you know, like, uh, maybe an equal, or maybe in some instances even above. Uh, yeah, that's that works when you're going fourteen and two every year, right? And winning the Super Bowl every other season, and winning six and whatever seventeen years, and going to ten a- AFC Championship games. It's a different story when you're struggling to make the seventh wild card, right? And when you do, you lose by 75 points to the Bills or you don't make the playoffs and you look around and you start making moves like that. I was also thinking about, I wonder if, you know, the older you get, especially some of these coaches or even business people in their 70s, it's probably harder if you kind of lean negative. And Bill can be a little negative. Think about some of the successful guys right now. Andy Reid, mid-60s, kind of happy, right? Pete Carroll, a little more positive. There's something to just be positive every day. It's a little harder because now we're several years removed from Tom Brady. A lot of the guys that were around Tom, Edelman, McCourty, they're gone. So these guys don't know what 2016 was like. That doesn't mean anything to a lot of the guys on the Patriots, right? And then you got this coach who just is a hard-ass every day driving you through. One thing with Nick Saban, they're just... There, there's a churn in college. That's right. And, and he hasn't had the lows. I mean, his low is like 11 wins losing in the yeah. SEC championship game, right? Or something. You know, Bill, last couple of years for their standards, there's a, it's the, the, like a Grand Canyon wide gap. And he, I don't think he just, he, he, not that he's not an optimistic. I, obviously, he knows what he's doing, but he's tough, man, to be around on a daily basis, the negativity. People handled it because they they also don't pay as much in terms of coaches, assistant coaches. Historically, you know, they they try to be cheap with the players historically. And it's like it's it's one thing when you're winning, just like in any industry. If you're going to be part of a lot of success and you're you're eventually going to benefit on the back end, you're like, I I can handle this. Right. I I can handle this grind. But when it's not working, like, what am I doing this for? You start looking at yourself in the mirror and a lot of people turn on you. Okay, I want to pivot. U.S. Open in Los Angeles. John hosts our golf podcast, Golo Podcast. Cool merch. John is his real passion. He just happens to be great at football. His real passion is golf. And uh, you can tell when you listen to him. So I'm going to lean into you on this. There are certain courses that benefit certain players. So in, in when the when I think of U.S. Open... I think of the rough is deeper. This is the American championship. (laughs) You're going to have to earn it. Are there players, when you look at the U.S. Open, give me a couple of guys who are built to win an Open. Well, Kepka is, I mean, typically it's really, really hard. Based on Thursday, it was relatively easy. Now, they can trick it up really quick. You know, they can not water greens. They can, they have the ability to grow grass at rapid rates. I mean, the rough can you know, change quickly. You saw Ricky Fowler. One thing is, and I haven't played much golf. I haven't played any golf in Florida. There's a huge difference in the way grass, your your club receives at the highest level. I mean, me, you, the average guy, even if they're shooting in the seventies, you can't tell, but at the pro level, 
It's why California guys typically have success on the California swing. Pebble Beach, Torrey Pines, this today, Ricky Fowler, Xander Shoffley, born and raised in Southern California. Last before we hopped on, Phil Mickelson was like 14 holes. He was three under par. California guy still lives out here. So you're very comfortable with the grass. Now, this isn't your typical where if you're off the fairway, you're dead. They've never played this course before. You see uh, Zillow, the Tory, the spelling mansion is on hole 14. It's it's for sale right now for $155 million. <laughs> so if, the, the monthly payment is close to a million dollars. The 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 monthly taxes are like 120 grand. But this this is somewhat of a unique venue because they've never been here and they might never come back. But I think typically it's it's guys that are smart. There is a uh, kind of like a Belichick or an, you got to have strategy. Tiger was the greatest strategist ever. Phil could be a little loosey goosey. It's why he's yeah. never won a U.S. Open and, and blown it a couple times. I think Kepka, you know, it's weird. He looks like a like a football player or something, but he's actually a pretty boring golfer. Hits a lot of fairways, hits a lot of greens, doesn't screw up. It's why he wins these big tournaments. Rory, one of the knocks on him for being one of the most talented guys ever, a little fillish, not always the greatest decisions, you know, yeah. the, the talents there. And I think U S opens historically, we'll see how this thing plays out. It usually kills you when you make a bad, it, one hole can ruin your tournament, right? This, you know, it'll, you're down there right now. It looked a little overcast today. So the sun's not baking, which maybe actually can lead to softer courses. Usually when that sun, you know, bakes hardens out yep. the fairways, hardens out the green, but th- these guys, these superintendents, these people that run these courses now, especially at a place like that, they, they will not like these low scores. They- they're going to want to, they're going to want to humble these guys, you know, 85 bears style the next couple of days. So it'll be very fascinating Friday, Saturday, if they, if they try to hit them in the teeth with some curveballs. So the players that didn't defect to the live tour, um, you know, like Rory McElroy. My take was always that Phil Mickelson complained for years, as did Greg Norman, about the treatment of star players. Every other entertainment business, NBA, music, Sony, movie studios, you take care of your stars. Golf, too. Yeah. So, you know, it wasn't a shock when Phil bolted to the live tour. If I would have guessed who would have bolted, I would have said, Greg Norman's going to run it. Phil's going to bolt. <laughs> yeah. But for the players that didn't defect going forward, what do you think is reasonable compensation to show up? Because you have to take care of some of these guys, especially now that the PGA uh, scolded golfers that departed and defected and now took the money. You know, it's weird. A lot of the reaction over the last 10 days has been those guys got screwed. I, I don't think the top end guys regret making their decision. You know, Roy McElroy, John Rahm, Jordan Spieth, these guys were worth nine figures. So the, the money... At their level, not that it wouldn't have. Like Justin Johnson likes his life, but Dustin Johnson was kind of over it. Kepka didn't play that much beside the majors and care ever. So what I think is going to be fascinating is that it was not sustainable the way it was going, right? It's a little like the NBA. You know, 10, 15 players. We talk a lot about like the top 10 players. It's really the top three or four that carry the league, right? In yeah. golf, it was. it's always been the top three or four guys in any era that carry the sport. And then you create stars by the next seven to 20 guys when they battle those guys. And if you ever beat them, you become a star like Jokic. How did he become a star? Start knocking off the top guys. And now we view him as an equal. But without his ability to beat those top guys, we wouldn't quite know how to gauge it. So the splintering of golf, which is much more niche than our team sports in America, it was never going to work. And they're going up against an entity with unlimited money. So I, I have a buddy that works in Wall Street that texts me. He's like, you know that the Saudis have like 16 trillion in untapped oil. <laughs> I mean, it, th- th- their their wealth is unlimited. And golf, I think they overextended themselves to try to compete against because they're they were going to their sponsors, who are some of the biggest companies in America, asking them to double down. And the guy's like, well, you're not producing double the. Why would I give you double the amount I'm already giving you, which is a lot of money? It, it wasn't adding up. Right. So the merger, and as you see, Jay Monahan, I don't know if you saw the headline the last 24 hours, but he had took a leave of absence, probably, I mean, stress, you know, this, this is something I think that was, there are so many variables on this, but ultimately I, I don't know, like, what are you just going to put everyone on salary, which might be, which might happen now that they're no longer in a, uh, 
I think it's called a 501c for tax benefits, which right. they're not going to do anymore. Called. And they haven't been right. able to just put Tiger, Phil, Rory, you know, pay them like, I don't know, Steph or LeBron or, or Aaron Judge, just pay them 30, $35 million a year and then whatever else you win. And that's the Saudis had the ability to do. But I also think some of those guys like the thing with golf, to, to have a legit tournament, you have to have access to the courses. And the Saudis were never going to have access to any good course because the, that's right. the country clubs were all in a weird way integrated with the money guys and they didn't want, they don't need the Saudis. And then the public courses, the PGA Tour, the Pebble Beaches, you go around the country, are in business with the PGA Tour. All I know is this. There's like four golfers in this country, Phil, Brooks, Rory, and then Dustin Johnson. If they're competing Sunday... I'm in. And and now, I'd theorize if Tiger was in his prime, you maybe don't have to merge. And he's an all-time outlier. You're right. Given the sport, I mean, Michael Jordan's more likely to come again than in golf we ever see it. Tiger Woods. It was not sustainable, the model. Hi, let's talk about Pro Plan Sport. Pro Plan Sport is advanced nutrition made to fuel strength and stamina in active dogs like yours. So wherever your next journey together takes you, start it off right with the high-performance fuel your dog needs to keep pushing you every step of the way. Pro Plan Sport. Learn more at ProPlansport.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com.